I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and this is the Downtown Riders Jam podcast video series. Today on the program, I am super excited to have Angela Jackson Brown. She was actually the eighth guest on this program when I relaunched it back in 2014. Uh, we used to teach together at Ball State University. She's fantastic. Her first book, Drinking from a Bitter Cup, is one of the most beautiful and heart-wrenching books that I've ever read. And I wanted to catch up with her because she's got a new book coming out and has done a phenomenal amount of stuff in between the first book and what's happening now. As you know, this is a new series that we're doing. We release these sporadically on the Solid Listen YouTube channel, so you can follow us there. There's also going to be an audio version of this that happens on the Downtown Riders Jam podcast series, so if you're subscribed, you'll get that as well. You can also find it at theridersjam.com, which is the website where we do all of this stuff. And while you're at the website, you can both watch the show, listen to the other programs. You can buy the books of anybody who's been on the program through the bookshop link. You can sign up for our newsletter, and you can support everybody on the Solid Listen Podcast Network by clicking on that little Patreon button. And when you do that, just a couple bucks a month, you get free and behind-the-scenes shows, podcasts, commercial-free episodes, all kinds of stuff. So that's just a couple bucks. And if you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this, that really helps us as we try to build this program. So back to today. So I'm just going to give you the skinny on Angela. It's really long. So I'm going to give you like the truncated version of that. Uh, she has her MFA from Spalding University. And I had met her when she got to Muncie. I think she had been there for a while. I don't know how long she'd been there. 
um, but was sort of at the beginning of what will become this professional writing career that she has. And um, I've had the joy and pleasure of watching her really come to her own as a writer and as a person. And it's one of the joys of like this program is that I get kind of a, I get to sit in the arena and watch these things happen. And I'm just so, I'm so happy for her. So Dream from a Bitter Cup, you should all go by uh, and read it and don't do it in public because you will be wrecked. So after she gets done with this book, this brilliant book, all of a sudden, like I see on her Twitter and Facebook page, like I'm going to write a play. Like this is a thing I want to do. And so she writes Anna's Wings and it ends up being part of uh, the Indie Fringes Diva Fest. And then she wrote Flossie Bailey uh, Takes a Stand, which was part of the Indiana uh, Repertory Theater, which is the big theater in Indianapolis. Um, she wrote It as well. And then she wrote another one called Black Lives Matter 2. And then in 2018, after writing four plays and like having great success in doing this stuff, she decides to write a musical. And so she writes a musical with Peter Davis called Dear Bobby, the musical. And it was about uh, Bobby Kennedy announcing the assassination of Martin Luther King, which he did in Indianapolis. And so there had been a play about that at the RRT, and she'll talk a little bit about that. But like, I'm literally watching this brilliant woman like just switch like into you know, novel, play, musical, like, and she, you're gonna hear, downplays this, is that it's just all words on the page. But dear reader, I am here to tell you that that is not just words on a page. To be able to shift and move through those genres and to do them with success is amazing. I can't even do that in, in the one thing that I do. So watching her do this has been great. And she has a book of poetry out called House Repairs, also published in 2018. So literally like there's this like five year period where she's just like cranking stuff out. And her new book, When Stars Rain Down, comes out April 13th. And I saw the announcement for this when she said it was going to be in every Target store across the country, which is phenomenal. And it is such a testament to her skill and her writing and who she is and the hard work that she's put in and the story world building that she does. And when you read the books, you'll see. When you read her work, you'll see um, that it's ending up in one of the biggest retailers in the country, which is just a big deal. So I'm really excited to have Angela on today. 20 minutes was absolutely not enough time for us to have this conversation, but trying to keep these so that we're not having hour long conversations all the time. Uh, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Angela Jackson. The new book, because you were one of the first guests on the sort of re um, launch of this program a few years ago. You have written like four plays in a musical. Like, I didn't even know you did that. Like, how did you get involved doing that? Well, okay. So it, it, I was, my husband and I love the theater. We, we go see shows and, you know, in Chicago, well, before the yeah. pandemic, we would go see shows in Chicago. I've had the good fortune to, to go to New York and see, uh, a play, but most of what I see would be uh, what most of the plays we saw were in, in Indianapolis, obviously, because it was just close. But I was seeing a common theme of the plays that were often being brought to Indianapolis or were being put on were shows that didn't necessarily either have a diverse cast or the roles that were um, that had Black actors were oftentimes 
um, kind of like what Hattie McDaniel was talking about back in the, you know, the 40s and the 50s. You know, I'd rather play a maid than be a maid. And I'm thinking it's the 20, 2000 and whatever. And we're still focusing our attentions on those those types of plays. So I just made the executive decision to take Toni Morrison at her word. If you don't, if there's not, if there's a book that you want to read and it's not there, then write it yourself. And I felt that way about the plays. And, um, and then I decided that I wanted to direct. So I've never thought that there was anything that I couldn't do that a book or YouTube couldn't teach me. <laughs> so I took a crash course on directing and I studied, you know, what some of the greats said about how to put on a play. And so I just jumped in, you know, headlong. And the musical came about as a result of the, um, they were having the anniversary of when Bobby Kennedy was in Indianapolis and he told the crowd about Dr. King being assassinated. And by that time I had about three three plays or so that had been in circulation. So I was approached to write a play about Bobby Kennedy, but there had just been a play about him at the, um, you know, at the, at, at a local theater. And so I, I think it's the IRT, right? Wasn't yeah, the yeah. IRT. And I'm thinking, yeah. I, I, I can't, I, I don't want to, that, that was a perfect play. And yeah. I thought, I don't want to just put on another play that, tries to find a different angle. So I just said, well, what about if I did a musical? Brad, I don't know. I can't read music. I've never <laughs> written a song in my life. But in the moment, it made sense. And I told myself, you can do this. Go to the library and get some books. <laughs> so I reached out to a friend of mine, Peter Davis, who writes music. Uh, and I said, would you collaborate with me on this? And so we, I wrote the lyrics and he wrote the music and the rest was history. It, I was watching it happen because you would tweet about it. Like every once in a while, there'd be a Facebook post or something about it. And it was just, one, it didn't surprise me because, you know, the what I know about you is exactly what you said, which is, well, I'm just going to do this. I uh, don't really care if somebody says I can or can't, right? You didn't ask for permission to do stuff. Mm -hmm. But two, like, Writing a play is really different than a book. Writing a musical is really different than writing a play. And you were just not only doing it, but having success doing it. You're like the annoying writer that the rest of us are like, well, what can't you do? Is there but I, I tell my students, it's all words on the page. You know, there's when if you look at a play and you look at a, a novel, it's words. I mean, I'm not doing mathematical equations and putting <laughs> words on the page. So the worst thing that can happen is that you try it. It doesn't, it's not the way that you want it or other people don't receive it. And then you either move on or you do it differently the next yeah. time. So I don't believe in being an intimidated writer. If it's something that I want to experiment with and try, I'm going to try it. You know, yeah. at this, at the core of it all, it's about good writing. That's all it is. Good writing. And you can do that in a genre. Can I ask, because so, I've interviewed lots of people in writer's rooms, like who came out of TV and who end up writing really good books because it's all scenic and it's all formulaic and books are structured, right? And things like that. And so it's it's a very transparent structure in TV. As you were writing plays and musicals, which are scene-based, right? Like they're words, but it's still, 
you're using movement and all kinds of things to replace narrative and exposition. Did you feel like that changed the way you wrote your second book? Because the, the second novel came out, like you did the first, like drinking from a bitter cup and then all this other stuff, right? And then when stars rain down after that. Yeah, I say my, um, the landscape of my, my, my novel have become more sweeping and more, more um, vibrant. I'm a very character driven writer. I can live in the land of dialogue forever, which really lended itself to being a playwright. Yeah. Um, but within a novel, obviously, you have things like setting. You know, people want to know where the story is. So I, as you know, writing the plays, I realized, you know, how important the details, the minute details. Now, you want to give the director room to have their own vision, but you also want to be able to help the director kind of see the world that you're you're, you're writing about. So I really think the the two types of writing really fed into the other. Like I really know how to do dialogue. So that part came a lot easier for me when I wrote the plays. But thinking about a room where my characters are in and what details in that room do I focus on that's gonna help tell me more about the plot, tell you more about the characters. So it's all been a, a masterclass of just learning how to be a better writer. I think even if you never want to write in another genre, it's worth your effort to yeah. experiment. I mean, being a poet helps me to really have lyrical language, you know, be a part of my novel, something that I didn't think about too much in the beginning. You know, when I read Toni Morrison, I didn't really think about her writing her novels like a poet. Um, but oh, if you yeah. go back and look at her, if you just take her, like, I'm a student of other writers. I usually buy two copies of a book, one to put on the shelf, like back there, but the other for me to study. Yeah. And I would, I would sometimes, uh, and a friend of mine, uh, Crystal Wilkinson, who's an amazing writer, said, type the words that the author, other author has, has written. And I would like type lines from Beloved and then see what it would look like if I took each line like a poet poem and so much of her writing reads like a poem you really could if you change the way it looks on the page you would think she had written um, a poetic piece as opposed to a novel so you can learn I've learned so much by just reading the writing of other people I've talked oftentimes uh before I was a writer you know, I didn't I didn't study that stuff in school. Uh, I sat and hand copied Gatsby in a cafe just because like I like Fitzgerald and like that book was like to me, it was his first sort of book about class, even though it's a different class and I'm from. And I would just sit and copy it hand just to feel what it was like to write that stuff. I don't know if it made me a better writer, but that's where it started for me. Um, and to this day, I do the same. Like, I'll sit. My notes are all annotated. Like, I can't read a book without annotating the book. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Yeah. And, and the other thing that it teaches you, and especially it helps my young writers who, who still, some of them are in awe of certain writers feeling as if they, they're doing something that they can't do. Yeah. And I'll ask them, I want you to read the first chapter and I want you to circle any words that this writer is using that you've never heard before. And usually they come back and say, I know all of those words. In fact, most of them are simple words. You know, one syllable, two syllable words. So why are we turning this into something more complicated than yeah. it is? You can do this. You just have to figure out how to make your words resonate from the page the way those did for you. Yeah. Well, and this gets to the voice that we were talking about, right? Like once you find your own voice, like I actually have a, it's a, it's a copy of a handwritten version. It's the handwritten Gatsby thing that, that Fitzgerald did. So it has all kinds of chapters that he threw out, all kinds of, and you read it and you're like, oh, this is a mess like everything I've ever done, right? Like it wasn't like whatever your books are that you think are great, what, you know, once you've done this enough, you're like, well, there's a hundred thousand words that we're never going to see, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> that perfection only came after hours and hours and weeks and months of craft. Oh my gosh. Yes. Absolutely. So when Star Brain Dad, like I saw you tweet this out, I think it's going to be in every, is it Target? Is it going to be in every Target store? Brad, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we start, so I started off, I got the email and it said that, um, I think it was like 
20 something target stores. It may have been more than that, but bottom line, the, the, the stores that I was told there were only going to be like 700 copies of the book sold. And so then within like a two week time, we got notified that every target store was going to carry the book. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know where to go with that. And you know, like I think I saw you posted on Twitter. I mean, for, and for people that don't know, like that's going to move books. Like that is in the world that we live in today. Like that Target is just one of those places, like Oprah's Book Club. Like it's going to be front and center to a, the whole America. Um, yeah, that's and, pretty exciting. Yeah, and it has to. I mean, you know, my friends who do this are like, until I see the numbers, I'm not going to get excited. But there also has to be that like. I mean, at least the stars are aligning so that the numbers might happen. Exactly. And that's the thing that I think a lot of um, beginning writers don't understand. I didn't understand when I published my first book. I assumed my book would just be where books are. I didn't know <laughs> that there was a, a, a business end of this that gets your book into yep. bookstores or gets your book onto the shelves of Target or gets your book featured so that when people walk into the store there's a big signage yeah. with your name your book and all that i didn't know i just thought that happened i didn't know that there was a wizard in the back that made all that happen <laughs> and and unfortunately it and and this is the problem with the business is that it unless you're with a big house you're not going to get that kind of attention a lot of times yeah. Sometimes lightning will strike. And if it does, that's great for someone with a midsize or small press. But there are some brilliant writers who've written some amazing books, but they never got to be in the light. Yeah. You know, yeah. they were always in the shadows. And that's the unfairness of all of this. So I don't take this for granted at all. I recognize how fortunate I am to be in a position where. I've got a publisher and a sales team who can get on the phone and people will listen. Yeah. But also, I mean, you're modest, like drinking from a bitter cup for being a first book was fantastic. I mean, I told you when I read it, like it was a fantastic book um, that was, you know, deeply complex and character driven. And like, you know, it puts it built a world. And I know that that world was personal for you. Um, yeah. And then to explore the playwright stuff as you sort of, as your voice got something outside of you and outside of your lived experience as a person and a lived experience as a black woman in America. And then sort of like just watching that grow, watching you get comfortable with that. It is an earned thing that you ended up in part. Like I am positive this book is going to be amazing. I haven't even seen it yet. <laughs> well, we don't have to change that. I need to get you an advanced copy. So we'll That'd be great. <laughs> I'll make sure you, I, don't, I can call somebody. <laughs> yeah, I only need one. I don't need a whole target thing. And I'm gonna tell you that the the other difference is like when I published the first time, my my advanced copies were all electronic, so I didn't I didn't get that sensation of having a big box come. Oh. With a so when I got the advanced copy for this book, it was um, I, I definitely did a happy dance. Because it definitely felt like I had arrived. You yeah. know? And obviously I put in the work and I know that I put in the work. But it's just something special about having someone validated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that box is weirdly one of those things that it's like, 
I, you know, when I, when John and I got our first one, like I cried, it was just like, you felt like this thing had made it into the world. And what happened after that was almost irrelevant because you had done it. Yeah. Cause I spent so many years with these characters. <laughs> I mean, I spent, I, I rewrote this book twice. I never, <laughs> I don't really talk about that. Yeah. But this book has gone from four narrators to one narrator. We were rejected the first time we rewrote it or I rewrote it and we sent it out and you know, the rest is history. Yeah. It is. Um, it's just been such a pleasure to watch your journey from, you know, from one of the front row seats out here on the side, watching you. Um, and not only as a writer, but as someone who talks about this stuff and like talks about the uh, bullshit that you had to deal with as a black woman writer, trying to write stories that matter to you and having people do what they do. Right. Which is tell you not to do that. Like, um, you know, and I think people really are meaning the best. They're not really trying necessarily to shut you down. They think they're giving you advice sure. that's going to help you, but not realizing what they've done was tried or inadvertently took your voice. Yeah. And that was, you know, we had talked about that before we turned this on. Like, as a writer, finding your voice for the story you want to tell is the greatest gift a writer can have. And, oh, God, yeah. you know, having people derail that journey. For anybody, right? And as people who've taught kids, like you always are, you try to be very careful of like not both steering them in the right direction, but making sure you're steering them in the direction they want to go and not yeah. that you want them to go. Right. You know, and I tell my kids, I don't have to understand everything that you write. <laughs> I don't want to emotionally connect with all that you write. Yeah. But I've done this long enough that I can identify the things that you can do to improve yeah. in whatever genre you want to write in. Yeah. It's, I always find it funny when people say, like, I, you know, I can only read stories of, like, what if I don't connect? I'm like, that's exactly why I don't read. Like, I read things of things that are completely different than me because I already know what's happening here. <laughs> and after 48 years, I'm bored with this story. Like, there's, you know, there's other things to. So I just find it weird that as readers, like, people are like, well, I can't read it unless it's, you know, connect with it. I'm like, eh. yeah, I, I like the exploration of other people's stories because that fascinates me. I mean, the first part of my life was reading books that had nothing to do with my own personal experience. I mean, I read Little House on the Prairie. You can tell me nothing about not being on a prairie. I thought, you know, if I'd met Laura, she and I have been best friends. So uh, I needed to be exposed to more diverse literature. Yeah. But I do appreciate the fact that I started my journey reading books by all sorts of authors. And most times I didn't have a connection to them um, as far as feeling that personal, yeah. my story being told in, uh, in, in book form. But, uh, you know, as readers, you know, I think the thing that allows me to do what I do is that I read everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm the, per I'm the person in the supermarket looking at the National Enquirer. You know, it's words on a page. Yeah. Standing here, so I'll pick up anything because I just love reading. Reading yeah. saved me for so many years. You know that you know, um, and I know you know about some of my health issues. But yeah. it was a, a prayer that I always prayed, which is that you know, don't take my mind, and please leave me the ability to type. Yeah, because you know? I, I I tried the voice so software, 
And Brad, if you want to be humble, get yourself the voice activated software. It can't understand a single thing I say. I sit, sit here and argue with that thing, saying, no, I didn't say hat. I said cat. And you yeah. know I said cat. Yeah. I, it, it For the same reason, like this accent, like I have an Alexa here and about every third time I ask it something, it, I asked for something. I asked to, to open my book today and it pulled up a podcast on the greatest generation. I'm like, I don't even know how you got there other than it just couldn't understand anything and just grabbed the first thing it saw. That's what I think. happened. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I feel you. So real quick. So when uh, when Stars Rain Down comes out next in April, April 13th. April 13th. So give me the real quick, like, what's this one about? Uh, this book is set in a fictional town called Parsons, Georgia in 1936. It's in the summer where, um, during the worst drought to hit the country, factual, hit the country. And I thought that would be a great jumping off point to really talk about some of the things that happen when our passions get very high. So the main character, Opal, is turning 18. And she's grappling with, you know, being an adult woman. She works as a housekeeper with her grandmother or a white family. And um, she's battling all sorts of things, the growing pains. Uh, who, who can I, who's okay for me to love and who's not? There's also a bit of violence that takes place with the clan. So there's a lot here. <laughs> um, and I really try to, when I write a story, um, I try to write, a, I mean, pain and, and sadness and suffering, those are all part of who we are. But I do try to make sure that I, I make the joy stand out and that there can be joy in the midst of, of trials and hardships. So that's kind of what this book is about. It's about a young girl who's learning how to find joy in the midst of all this turmoil. Well, and it, I mean, you did the same thing with drinking from a bitter cup, right? Like there was joy in the, I mean, the sort of, State of, I think the state of your characters are that what I believe humanity is, which is melancholy. There is a great sadness to being alive because you are dying, and in that comes happiness. Like in the in the sort of trials of that unhappiness, you can find joy. That's sort of how I. And I don't know if I told anyone, so you might be getting the scoop on this. A few of my friends who are my readers know this, but I am about two hundred pages into the sequel to Drinking from a Bitter Cup. So oh, really? I'm going to get the conclusion uh, of Sylvia's story. That's really interesting. Well, we'll have to get back together and talk about that when that's done because uh, that was a fantastic... That was one of those books I couldn't read in public because I was crying as I was reading it because it is... Um, it's a hard book. I mean, it, there's hard things in that book. Yeah. Well, really Angela, it is fantastic to see you again. I could not be happier for your success and also i'm not surprised one bit at all because you're just a fantastic writer oh thank you so much brad and thank you for the work that you do in our community to make writers feel important you know so much of what we do is in isolation <laughs> you bring us out of that isolation and, and and remind us that we're we're doing this for something for someone and for people other than ourselves so thank you for your work it is my pleasure. It is the best part of my day talking to writers because, I mean, I think like you, uh, writing saved my life. Yeah. And so the celebration of people that do it is actually very easy for me because I feel like I could spend the rest of my life doing this and never give back what I got from it. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, 
Well, I cannot wait to pick up your book uh, and I can't wait for us to talk again. It was lovely seeing you today. Oh, lovely seeing you too. Thank you. That was my conversation with Angela Jackson Brown, whose book, When Stars Rain Down, is out April 13th, wherever books are being sold these days. You can also pre-order it now on bookshop.org or Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. If you like what you heard or saw today, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're at it, don't forget to check out the other shows on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly McLear. Don't forget the Jam Podcast is out every Wednesday, so get yourself subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I'll see you around the internet. Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My gran says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready, for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a Storyglass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts. The thing that I fought tooth and nail to bring my son into is Dungeons and Dragons. That is the ultimate solution to parenthood. I'm Alexis Ohanian. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. I talked to Rain Wilson. I wanted to learn more about Rain's advice to play D&D with your kids. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.